Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. love to do and figure out how to make money doing it. That's something that Kourtney Kardashian said at one of our conferences, and it sounds simple, but it's often easier said than done. Because let's face it, even if you found your passion, the hard part is turning it into profit. And in Sheena Yatena's case, the path was years in the process with lots of blood, sweat, and tears along the way. But here's the thing, that didn't stop her, and it shouldn't deter you either. The spark for a new business idea can come at any moment as long as you're open to the possibility. And for Sheena, her light bulb moment was studying chemistry and biology at UC Irvine. She was frustrated by the lack of clean beauty products that not only looked good, but that were good for you as well. So she fused her scientific background with her passion for painting to create a clean beauty brand out of her home in LA in 2015. Now, five years later, it's a cult favorite with celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow, Mandy Moore, and Lily Aldridge loving it. It's also sold on Sephora, Goop, and Violet Gray, and she just closed a Series B funding round with investors like Leandro Medine and Scooter Braun. Of course, the journey from startup to smash hit wasn't as smooth as it sounds, so for this episode, I'm sitting down with the Clean Beauty founder to dive deeper into the concept of turning your passion into profit, how she started her empire from home, and why she went from bootstrapping to raising capital. So let's get into it. Yay! Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I am so excited to be here too. Um, Your brand has blown up. I feel like I've been seeing it everywhere and we're so excited to talk to you. And what we like to do on the show is really go back to the beginning, kind of hear your story of how you ended up building this empire and, you know, kind of the struggles and experiences you went through. Um, I read on the cut that you are the oldest child of Arabian immigrants. And you were kind of being told to go the path of being a doctor and not wanting to disappoint them. And now you're this amazing sort of beauty mogul. Can you tell us a little bit about how that shaped your experience and transitioning to being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, uh, 
I think it's because, and I think this is like typical for a lot of immigrant families and maybe a lot of families of that age anyway. It wasn't so explicitly a pressure to become a doctor, but it was, I think that my parents only kind of knew about a few jobs. It was either you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be an engineer, like which one of these very sure paths are you going to choose? Risk wasn't on the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like that's also just that generation of parent in general. Totally. Um, you know, they, they didn't really grow up with like internet jobs as they were um, and how we can kind of connect and create experiences on their own. But kind of going into that, you know, how did the essence of this brand start, you know, before even, you know, what it is today? How did this light bulb moment come to be? I think it was really a series of life events that happened. Um, there weren't, they weren't like really huge, massive aha moments, except I can't, and I can't even remember actually when the first time I had the thought was, but it was probably when I was 21 or 22, I was always in love with makeup. It was something I loved and I had an idea. I thought like there is too many products in a brand and it's so hard to find something that's really flattering. And like, I love going through all these hundreds of lipsticks to find the one that really works, but everyone might not have that skill or that ability. And like, what if I did that? And I just shared with the world, like what my favorites were, and that could be a brand and it would be like easier to, to navigate through and it would be like less complicated. And, um, that's kind of how the, the initial like seed of thought started. And then it's taken a million twists and turns along the way. Yeah, I'm sure. And so going from obviously being a beauty enthusiast to then launching your own brand, there's obviously, you know, a huge gap there. So in 2015, you built a beauty brand from your kitchen table in LA. And I heard that your team actually still works from your home office, obviously probably not right now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, tell us a little bit about how, you know, product feels so challenging for so many people and expensive. Can you tell us how in 2015 you started this brand from scratch? I was a beauty enthusiast starting a beauty brand. There was a huge gap. I still think I'm closing that gap, even though it's been six years since I've been working on the brand. I think that might be why you see a lot of brands be born out of people who have worked in the industry before. I think that's like a really great reason um, you would not have that gap to deal with. So what happened for us was the brand launched in 2015 and I spent just two years really slowly building it and like learning and bridging that gap. We had four lipsticks only for the first six months. We had eight lipsticks for two years before ever launching anything else. So for a brand to exist as an eight lipstick brand um, for a couple years means that I was spending time really trying to learn the industry, which I didn't have any knowledge of before I came into it. Yeah, absolutely. And so from your first product, kind of figuring that out, how did you know where to go to labs and formulators and things like that? I uh, didn't know where to go. Um, It was actually really hard to find people to work with because no one wants to, like, you sound kind of crazy. You're like, I have an idea. I want to do a beauty brand. Have you ever done a beauty brand before? No, I've never done a beauty brand before. Okay, well then bye. You know, like we're not going to take a chance on you. Um, wanting to like make teeny tiny quantities of lipstick, that's not really what manufacturers are in the business of doing and you can't blame them for that. Um, I think that there was definitely moments along the way where I got lucky, where I got a name from one person 
mm-hmm. went and then ended up going to that place. And that was, I, I only got one response from a manufacturer ever. And that was the one I worked with. Totally. I mean, that's, that's interesting to hear because I think that's the process that a lot of people go through as well. Um, and the brand, you know, itself, one, can you tell us, you know, the meaning behind Costas, but also it's beautiful. The packaging is amazing. How did you get to that place? And how did you learn about that sort of art of design um, and putting that packaging out there? I don't think I was ever formally trained, but I have an affinity for, I love it. I really enjoy it. I had, I personally was never a girly girl but I love makeup and I love beauty. And I wasn't really seeing a brand that was like speaking to me in that way. That was like, that felt a little bit like almost masculine. I don't know if that's the right word, but like maybe tomboyish, maybe like a little more straightforward in its design, like not super like gold and frilly. And all of that informed what the packaging was ultimately going to look like. And of course, there's also a lot of like, I don't know which way to go. I think when you're first starting a brand, um, it's hard to, what was hard for me, I don't know if it's hard for a lot of people, what was hard for me was deciding on color, for example, like, do we make this black and white or do we go with like a color and commit to it? And I think that mm. for me, I felt that I needed that to evolve over time. And so the yeah. brand started out black and white and then now all the, all the like fun color is starting to show itself. And that's been a process. It's been an evolution. What's up, ladies? Let's take a pause from today's episode to talk about The Way, a hair care line created by celebrity hairstylist and former work party guest, the one and only Jen Atkin. Jen set out to create the first socially connected hair care brand to drive conversation and innovations in the hair space. And she succeeded in doing just that. The Way offers hair care you can relate to and crowdsources their community when developing new products rather than telling them what they need. I'm thrilled to give you the inside scoop on the latest addition to their all-star product lineup, the all-in-one shampoos and conditioners for fine, medium, and thick hair. I don't know about you, but hair care has moved to the top of my self-care priority list while in self-quarantine. With fewer events and fewer reasons to use hot tools on my hair, what better time to invest in quality hair care? But with so many hair product options on the market, it can be difficult to know where to start. The Way wanted to simplify that process for their customers, which is why they developed the one-and-done hair solutions tailored to maximize the health of your strands and tackle the biggest challenges for each hair type. For a limited time only, The Way is offering all Work Party listeners a special discount. Visit theway.com, that's O-U-A-I.com, and enter party to receive three free samples with your order. I tried the formula for medium hair and it left my hair so soft, shiny, and frizz-free. No joke, it is the best product I've ever used. They added babasu oil for smoothness and shine and coconut oil to strengthen and hydrate. My favorite part is it's color-safe, sulfate-free, cruelty-free, and producing eco-friendly packaging. But don't just take my word for it. Shop their new shampoos and conditioners for fine, medium, and thick hair now at theway.com. That's spelled O-U-A-I dot com and enter party to receive three free samples with your order. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. So you said that you started uh, with just lipsticks and you had the New York Times call it a lipstick line for minimalists. 
um, which is really wonderful. And how, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, launching with one skew and what you learned from that and how, you know, how impactful that was for your business. Cause I think more and more we're starting to see beauty brands launch with like one specific product or one line of specific products. Um, and how that, you know, press piece really helped or bolstered the business. That was a pivotal moment for the business, actually, before the New York Times article and after the New York Times article. But like, it's scary launching with more than one product. I remember when I first had just the four lipsticks, I was like, what, how many lipsticks do I have to get? And they're like, you have to get a thousand of each color. And I was like, okay, well, that means I'm going to have 4,000 lipsticks like in my house. What does that even look like? I don't even (laughs) understand like how, how, like how big of an area is that going to take up? And so I think that's probably why if you have, you know, many, many products, you're going to have many, many pieces of products to sell. And like, I didn't know if anyone was going to like my lipstick and it was 2015. So it was a little early for indie brands. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have a lot of places that like indie brands could be sold. And I wasn't really sure even how to go about that. So um, for me, like starting slow was, ta- it was taking a leap, which was actually starting and then spending time learning the business. Absolutely. And so starting out, did you, did you write a business plan? No, I didn't write a business plan. The things that I spent my time doing at, in the early days were more creative oriented. So it was really like for me, visioning out what this brand was going to look like and who it would really be for and what was the, what was the aesthetic of the makeup when it was on the face. That was something mm-hmm. that I really wanted to focus on because I felt like disconnected between the things that I really loved in fashion and then like the beauty looks that I was seeing from the same exact brands. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was coming, it was for the first and foremost for me, it was like really visioning out what the visual perspective was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And so did you bootstrap the company early on or did you take on investment or can you tell us a little bit about the financials? totally bootstrapped the company early on. Um, for me, that was the right choice because I had a lot to learn. I I think if you're coming into it with a prior knowledge of any consumer company, I think you can apply the same principles to, um, and maybe not come out the gate bootstrapped and really like start making investments and bets early on. But yeah, I was bootstrapped for the first couple years. And then did you go out and raise a formal round? I did. Um, what happened was after a couple years of existing as a brand and starting to make a little bit of noise and get a little traction, um, the process for me happened. I was thinking about raising money so that I could start making investments in places that I was now finally understanding, like brand marketing and R and D and product development, um, mm-hmm. because it had been a couple years that I'd been doing those things. And at the same time, I think the investment community was also looking at Kosas. Um, so we were coming together. I was getting signaled from the investment community and listening to that. Yeah, absolutely. And so what has, what was your goal with raising money? Did you end up uh, investing in R&D and those types of things? And did you see a, a very specific change in the way the business grew after that? Yeah, I did. Um, I think that what investment allows is for you to make bets on things that you maybe haven't earned yet. So it's like making investments in brand marketing, spending more on brand marketing than you can justify based on revenue. The biggest thing that I focus on personally is people and bringing 
good people to the business. So before raising money, it was just me and like two people mm-hmm. doing everything. And, and I think that makes sense for an early stage business. And it makes sense when, when things are really small, like everyone gets scrappy and everyone has to do everything. And the more a business grows, the more you can move away from like jack of all trades and like everyone, you know, all hands on deck to like more specialized roles so that that certain things can get focused on more. So what has been the most challenging part of launching a product? Um, you know, you've been in business now for five years. It's a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. What would you say you've learned from the challenges you face and what advice do you have for someone that might be wanting to get into this category? I think every single part of it is challenging. It's all, all of it is a challenge. And every day is a day that like a to-do list is really just a list of challenges that you're going to tackle that day. Um, so everything from making decisions on product from developing formula to finding the right packaging to understanding what those timelines are like what who do i even go to to help me with that finding people who can speak the design language finding people who can speak r&d finding and then like now you have a product and then like a whole new challenge begins which is where will i sell this product and how will people ever find out about this product so that's a whole other beast on its own i i think the entire thing is a big challenge. And the only way to do it is one step at a time. Absolutely. And so one of the other things that you, a challenge and also, you know, kind of a pro is like, it's clean beauty. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the education piece um, and launching? Cause you know, clean beauty now is everywhere, right? But yeah. 2015, I think that probably wasn't the case. Can you tell us a little bit about how you overcame some of the challenges when getting out this product in, in essentially a different category than some of the other products that you're going up against um, and what the sort of education piece was alongside that. You know, I made the products clean because that's what I wanted. And I formulated that way because I found that to be the most effective and like most beautiful feeling product. And I'm very sensitive. So I am like borderline sensory processing where the whole thing where everyone's wearing elastic waist pants now, I'm like, now you guys are on my vibe because I've been doing that for the longest time. Mm -hmm. So I was like really looking for that level of comfort in my makeup. And I was getting there through clean ingredients. And in the early days, I never talked about that. We never talked about that. It wasn't something that people were necessarily looking for like in a wider way. And I think that there was some stigma around like clean makeup doesn't work. And I wasn't really trying to solve that. Like I was making makeup that I really loved. And so I didn't want that to stand in the way or like hinder the perception of the brand in any way. And I also wasn't really sure or confident in like, what does clean even mean to me? And what do I, you know, because it was like a very personal, sometimes I wouldn't use a certain ingredient because I just didn't like it. I didn't like the way it felt. I didn't feel like that was the best choice. And like, I, I wasn't like, here, let me cite like all these, you know, different reasons why we don't use these things. And I certainly didn't want to come from a place of like, your makeup is toxic. That didn't feel fun to me. So it wasn't really something we talked about until more recently. Yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting. It was like, you were a little bit ahead of a curve in that way. But I think that that's an interesting um, take on it because I think a lot of, a lot of brands are going in the, your makeup is toxic 
realm um, and really taking it as of like, no, this is just what feels good to me and my skin. I think it's really interesting um, and, and a smart approach. Tell us a little bit about the best-selling products and what ones were maybe a surprise to you and, and what ones maybe are misunderstood that you think should be a bestseller. Um, tell us a little bit about the line. I mean, I think all of those are all wrapped up into one product, which is tinted face oil, which was a product I made because I wanted to have like really even, really good looking skin. I wanted to be able to wear a complexion product every single day. So I wanted to be able to wear foundation on my skin every day. I have really sensitive skin. I have oily skin. I have acne prone skin. And I wanted something that I could really feel comfortable putting on my skin every single day and not damage my skin, which then creates that cycle where you then have to wear the makeup. And that's what I was experiencing with other types of like foundation products. I really liked the way they looked, but I would often skip it because I didn't want to hurt my skin that day. And then I didn't get to like have that full makeup look, which is what I was looking for. So tinted face oil was the answer to all that. It was like the most pure way I could think of to get pigment on my skin. Yeah. And again, I don't think that category really exists. It's kind of like creating these new, these new categories. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if people were going to like it. I was very surprised that they did. And then it became the bestseller, but it's also the most misunderstood. So it's really all of those things. Yes, totally. And then in terms of price points, so you have a very accessible price point. Um, Why was that important to you at the beginning? And how did you figure out how to price your products? For us, we look at what something costs and price it based on that. And I am a person who has always wanted every brand to put all their money into the like goo inside and not into the packaging. So mm-hmm. we take that approach too. Um, always looking for like the most functional, you know, attractive packaging, but like not necessarily expensive and heavy. And like I think that's that's kind of how we decide what things should cost. I don't like to like add a premium because it's like prestige. If that makes right. Sense. Yeah. The brand tax, um, as it were, but yeah, I think that's great. You know, especially clean beauty being accessible. Cause I think it's been somewhat, you know, it's changing now, but it's been somewhat of like an elite luxury feeling thing that, you know, is expensive. Um, and I think doing it in a way that's accessible is great. So you've garnered fans like Gwyneth Paltrow, Giselle Bundchen, these massive, massive celebrities. How are you attributing your success in such a short period of time? And why do you think, you know, your brand is resonating right now so much? I wish I knew the answer to that. I, uh, <laughs> I think because it feels good. I mean, I think because like of the dedication to the brand from day one, like the daily getting up and trying to make something happen. I think when you put that much focus and that much attention on anything, it's bound to grow. And I think that I'm incredibly grateful for all those successes and I hope they continue to grow. Um, I think that we're still absolutely a very small brand with a lot of room to grow. Yeah. And how, how big is the team now? Um, there are about 40 of us. Nice. And how's that been from a management perspective going from two to 40? <laughs> It, that's been the biggest learning of my life, but I have to say that I think what I've realized, especially now, which is this is, has, it's been really bringing this to light for me personally. I graduated from business school in 2010, right into a recession. And Mm -hmm. that was the hardest time in my life. Um, I think that was what was so scary about that was not being able to find a job and being totally unemployed or underemployed. And the like despair and fear I felt during that time 
I've been really reminded of again now. And what's happened over the last few years is that I love makeup. It's always going to be a huge passion of mine. But I think employing people, creating jobs and creating an ecosystem where people can come to work every day is an even bigger joy. So without the people, the brand would not exist. I would not be here. None of it would happen. I've been lucky enough to find people who are mission-driven, who are really like really dedicated to the cause, who really adore other women and other and and love makeup and like really want to bring that to the world. And I get to work with those people. That's how I feel about that. That's awesome. And then in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur, so, you know, and looking at your Instagram and all, and obviously a lot of women in the beauty industry, it's very polished, very glamorous. What would you say is sort of behind the scenes and the reality of being an entrepreneur these days? And what are some of the risks you've taken along the way? I am very private and introverted and shy. So I don't share a lot. I think like where you would see my personal life come through, like if you were to want to like kind of look under the curtain and see like what I'm feeling, the place to look would be the creative direction in COSAS. And like a lot of that represents like what's happening in my life at that time. Um, The daily life of an entrepreneur is very busy um, and it it involves a lot of meetings and a lot of doing of things really. So it doesn't leave leave a lot of time for like social sharing for me personally. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of, you know, what we've been seeing in the past couple of years is like CEOs as influencers, you know, as brand representatives, the faces of the brand. Is that something that you're, you know, looking forward or interested in doing, or is it just happening by default? And and how do you think that trend is going uh, longer term? I think it's totally personal to the founder. It's for me, it's happening by default. Um, mm-hmm. It's not. It's not something I'm like totally passionate about. I'm a very behind the scenes person. I still like do a lot of execution with regard to Kosas, um, like personally and physically. So, you know, I think that's like my passion lies in in building the company and not necessarily building my own personal profile. And but that does happen along the way. Yeah. And I think that's a juggle, especially for, like you were saying, introverted entrepreneurs. It's definitely not right. the most com- comfortable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, do you want me to get up in front of 300 people and do what? I don't know. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. And it's, it's not a required skill set. You know, I think that's something that's important to say is like, not everyone has to do that, or it doesn't mean you're successful if you do or successful if you don't. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of, looking back over the past five years, you know, what advice would you give yourself in 2015 when you were first starting the brand? I, sometimes I think about this and I think like, what I, would I have told myself to go faster? Like, would I have told myself to be a little more fearless? Would I have told myself to work harder on self-doubt or, you know, things that would have gotten in my way? But I think that ultimately I, you know, you have, you have to like, those things have to unfold as they do. And the evolution is the evolution. And I'm here now. So I have to be thankful for everything that happened the way that it did. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Because I think it's like all the challenges, all the problems, all the missteps, like really, you know, kind of get you on the path to where you need to go. So looking forward, you know, what categories are you looking to break into next? And would you ever move into like edible beauty, which is becoming more of a thing? Or what are you excited about next in space? I am 
always excited about making things that I use. So like I, I'm, the brand is very personal to me and um, everything that you see are like things that I obsessed over and have a point of view on. And so that's why they would come to fruition. Edibles are not one of those things. I do like gummy vitamins, honestly, like taking swallowing pills makes me gag. So like, that's not probably on the list for me. Um, but any, you know, anything related to like creating a, like an easy, healthy, achievable, daily approachable look, you'll definitely see, um, anything related to like any other sort of like beauty related issues or things that I have found that have been really helpful for me that I'd love to share with others. Those are other things that we could see too. That's exciting. Okay. So we're going to wrap with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. I'm the most productive when I am rested. Same. Beauty is very personal. My biggest business mistake was Uh, there's too many to count. The three traits I look for in an employee are passion, healthy competition, and a mission. When I feel fear, I retreat. (laughs) Success to me means feeling like I gave it my all. And the one Kosas product I recommend to everyone is tinted face oil. I'm so excited to try it out. I'm like, I can't wait. I mean, obviously it's like I'm getting ready to go into my living room every day, but still. Totally. (laughs) It feels, it does feel really good to get ready to go into your living room. I like, I really, I I know it sounds like let's do, do your routine, but like, I don't know. It does feel a little good. Plus you're, if you're on like video calls, it feels good too. Yes. Yes. Let me know what you think. There's a learning curve to using it, but it's well worth it. I'll definitely let you know, but I, I, I have to say, you know, I get my makeup done for events all the time. And all of a sudden, like for the past three months, every makeup artist using Kosas. And I'm like, what is this right now? I was like, I've been seeing it everywhere. And like, so it's really blown up and it's been everywhere. So congratulations on all your successes. Thank you. To see what you do next. Thank you so much. It was so good talking to you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Got questions? Well, we've got answers. We're so excited to introduce the Work Party Hotline, a new resource for all your hot-button career questions. Maybe you're looking for a business partner and don't know where to start, or are eager to ask your boss for a raise and need to know how to go about it in a professional manner. Whatever the career question you have, give me a call anytime and I'll give you my best advice on air during future episodes. You can reach the Work Party Hotline at 213-394- 5107. That's 213-394-5107. Today's work party hotline question comes from Hunter. Hunter says, right now I'm working a nine to five job, but desperately wanting to turn my side gig into my own business. I also plan to self-fund this business. How can I best prepare myself to take on a financial commitment like this? Great question, Hunter. So I think it's some staggering number, about 70% of the CNC audience has a side hustle they want to turn into a full-time job. So you are not alone, that is for sure. But I always like to say, when you're starting something out, you have to have a financial runway. And what that really means is thinking about how much money you need to start your business and how much money you need to survive six months, one year, two years, whatever it is that you feel comfortable with for that business. Then you can go out and set expectations for what those you know next few months are going to be looking like. So you're like, I want to be making $2,000 a month off my new business, but I need to cushion my savings account so that I can live 
buy the things I like, eat the things I want, whatever it might be for those next six months as well. So then you give yourself a timeline of, I have six months to get this off the ground. So financially, I would say, create that runway. I would also say, have a plan in mind where you can see yourself making that money. You can't just start a business and say, well, I'm going to give myself six months, but I have no idea how I'm going to make any money whatsoever. Go into it with a plan to make money or break even whatever you feel most comfortable with. But first and foremost, before you take the leap, get your financial runway set up to a place that you feel comfortable with. So whether it's saving that money or, you know, like you said, self-funding that money, whatever it might be, and give yourself that window um, of time to see if it works. Hopefully that helps. Thanks, Hunter. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.